You know, it's so important that we understand that this life, and, and one of the big picture examples of that in the Old Testament was the children of Israel. There are those who just said, you know, uh, I don't know if we can go do this thing, and I don't know if we want to fight those giants and deal with those big walls. And, you know, I just think maybe we ought to just go back to Egypt. You know, we could eat better there, and, and we could kind of have our way. We could kind of live a, a lazy, unengaged life and just be slaves. You know, it's just easier to be a slave than be a, you know, a, a go-getter and, and, and go-do-it type of person. It's just easier to sit around and be a slave. Let's go back to Egypt, you know. Or you could be like Joshua and Caleb says, you know what, we're well able. God is for us. Who can be against us? How many of you want to be like Joshua and Caleb this morning? Are there actually some Joshua and Caleb still living today? You know, we want to be that type of people. We want to be that kind of a church. You know, some churches just, you know, come minister to me, 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 me. I'll get, make me feel better. Make, you know, get, lift up my attitude. Lift up me. Everybody, you know, it, it's all about me. It's narcissism reigns, and, and it's got to be about me. And church is all about you all ministering to me. And, but how about getting involved and us doing something for God? How many of you want to do something for God? Amen. See, if, if we live for me, we'll be so, so disappointed. And the more you live for me, the more you expect for everybody else to take care of you. See, that's what's happening with our government. Anybody recognize that? 52% of the people in California today are on public assistance. Pretty soon there's going to be more people in the wagon than those pulling the wagon. And then those who are pulling the wagon are going to say, wait, there's something wrong with this picture. Let me see, they do nothing and they get to live the same lifestyle I do. I do all the work and don't get any reward. They end up taking all my reward. There's something wrong with this picture. You know, that can happen spiritually in a church. That isn't just California and a bunch of kook left-wing nuts uh, causing the state to have a major exodus where everybody's moving to Texas. But let me tell you something, that can happen in the church. Where there's more people in the wagon than those pulling it. But we all got to get out and help pull the wagon. Can I get an amen? Let's not be like the liberal leftist, you know, uh, that socialist, you know, communist, you know, progressivists, and, and, and live in a, in a con- but we, we need to realize that when God has something for us to do, we all need to engage and be part of God's work. But let's bow our head this morning. We're going to talk about uh, the, the message this morning is, though it tarry, wait for it. We're going to talk about sometimes the the thing that we have to do in the midst of receiving and doing the vision of God. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the answers of Scripture. We thank you for the the presentation of how we're supposed to live our lives through the reading of the Bible and understanding uh, the, the way that you call us to lay down our life and live for you. And Father, we thank you for that. Father, we ask that you give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit this morning as we speak. Father, give each one ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of your word. And Father, we come today thanking you for that. And Lord, we ask that you empower us and give us your grace to fulfill all that you want us uh, to do today. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3. Now, we always it usually read, you know, I'll sit on my watch and I'll see what he'll say unto me and I'll write the vision down and make it plain upon tables that he that readeth may run with it. Normally we focus on those first two verses, but we're not going to focus on that today. We've taught many, many sermons on that. And by now you should understand all that, that there's a time of seeking God and seeing what he'll say, writing it down and getting everybody uh, together to run with what was written down. And, you know, we can only say that so many times, but then there's another part of that scripture And we're going to begin there today in verses 3 and 4. And look what it says. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Everybody say appointed time. Visions have timelines and dates and schedules to it. There's appointed time. You know, in the the Hebrew and the Greek, you know, in, in the Greek anyway, it's called kairos. There's kairos time and there's chronos time. Chronos time is where we get, you know, chronometer or watch. And usually, you know, if a watch has some subdials, they call it chronometer. A chronometer, and uh, so, but a watch in general is something that keeps chronos, time, and that's what the Greek word means, but then there's another word, kairos, and kairos means an appointed time by God, in other words, there's a particular time and season, and that season has something unique and prophetic, and it has some, you know, sense of fulfillment in it, that is a special ordained from heaven point fixed in time 
that we should recognize. And it talks about an appointed time. For the vision is for an appointed time. Everybody say appointed time. But at the end it shall speak. In other words, it will communicate its message of why we were supposed to do that. You know, sometimes we don't know why God calls us to do things. But then afterwards, in retroflection, we look back and we see, oh, now I get it. No wonder God wanted us to do that. But, you know, if you won't cooperate with that, you'll never be able to go from the other side from the perspective of the job well done and look back and say, oh, my gosh, it's, so, it's such a good thing we did that. If we wouldn't have done that, who knows what might have happened? Anybody have one of those moments? If we wouldn't have done that, I'm so glad. Now I see why God wants it. But then some people just stumble through life confused, wandering and wondering and wishing, and, and they're out of God's will. And they, they, they just they don't know why life's happening the way it does all the time. But, you know, if you'll just get in sync with God's plan. For the vision is for you at an appointed time, but the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Some of you are like, I'm tired of waiting, Pastor Bill. I've been waiting a long time. And you know what? It it, it doesn't seem, you know, those are your words right there, it doesn't seem like it's coming to pass. But you know, the Bible tells us about this. The Bible warns us that there's an appointed time. It says, tarry, it will tarry, though it tarry. Wait for it, because it will surely come. Now, those are words that you ought to brand in your consciousness. For it shall surely, because it will surely come and not tarry. In other words, it, it won't tarry forever. It doesn't mean it won't tarry. What that's really saying is it won't tarry forever. In other words, it won't, you know, just never come. It will come. How many of you believe that this morning? How many faith people do you believe it, it will come, that we can take the promised land? that we can do the things that God assigns to us and God has for us and receive the blessings to go with that assignment. You know, the promised land was a, you know, it was a quite an endeavor to go in there and take on those giants and take on those walls, but it was not without reward. That's where they got the land that flowed with milk and with honey and was the land of promise and the, plant, and the land of blessing. See, everything that has a promise and a blessing is also going to take some acts of faith to bring it to pass. So I don't know if it's your, your personal life or, or whatever it is in your life, you know, you're going to have to have these seasons where you tear, though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry, you know, to where it never comes to pass. Verse four, behold, his soul, which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. You know what that first part of that verse four is? is arrogant people that aren't going to put up with all this waiting that God requires of us. How many of you know there's people like that? Well, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm not going to submit it to God. I'm going to go do what I want to do and be in control of my own life and get my own agenda and get what I want out of life for myself. I'm not going to do this live by faith stuff. I'm not going to do this live by vision stuff. I'm not going to lay my life down. Are you kidding me? Wait around forever on this God that seems to take uh, eternally forever to do things. And behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. See, this is talking about vision. This is right while he's talking about vision. See, he said the just shall live by faith. Now, we have an example of that in Numbers 13 and 14. Moses is told by God, tell the children of Israel, I give you the land. That's the vision. Go in and check it out, and then we're going to go take the land. That was the vision. The vision is I give you the land. The vision is go to see the giants, and, and we're going to test your faith. We're going to find out if you're in verse 4, that first part, his soul. Behold his soul, which is lifted up and not upright in him. That's the first crowd that came back and said, nope, we're not able to do this. You know, Are you kidding me? You're going to make us go fight those giants and deal with those walled cities that are impossible to deal with? You ever, you ever tried to fight somebody from the outside of a walled city, dude? You know, I could just hear him talking right now. You know, we'd have been better off if we'd never been brought out into this wilderness. We'd have been better off in Egypt. At least when we were slaves, they fed us something, and we had a surety of tomorrow. Couldn't you just hear people talking like that? How many of you know people talk like that? I know they talk like that. Hopefully nobody in this church. But you know, there's people that wouldn't, wouldn't anymore put themselves out there to follow God. Uh, they, they, you know, they're, they're not anymore going to give God the time of day. They, they, they want to be maybe entertained or they want to be blessed or something like that. 
but live by faith? Are you kidding me? The Bible says that person's soul is not upright. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many of you are in faith this morning? See, it doesn't take faith just to wander through life. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever will be, will be, you know. How many of you know that takes like zero faith? It takes zero faith to be a Calvinist and just say, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen no matter what. We can't change it. And we wouldn't dare try to because that would be our works instead of God's grace. No, I'm sorry. That's, that's just wrong. God requires things of us. He wants us to engage and be co-laborers with him. How many of you know it says in Corinthians that we are co-laborers with him? You see, those people who drew back from faith, there's a reference to that in Hebrews 10. Don't be like those who draw back unto perdition and don't have patience on, with God and aren't patiently waiting for things to come to pass, patiently waiting for that lost one to get right, to get saved, to come back home from his backslidden session. Those who are waiting for that money, waiting for that, for that job, waiting for that break, waiting for that situation, waiting for things to come to pass in your life. Don't be like the children of Israel, whom is really being described here, because really, when Moses was given the promise to take the land, that was the vision. He said, and of course, later on, we see the commentary on it by, uh, by Solomon saying that the uh, people that, th- those who do not have a vision, they don't live by vision, will perish. Without a vision, my people perish, is what he said. Well, that's the children of Israel. They're the grand story of the people that perished. They're the great object lesson of the entire Old Testament of the people that perished. Why did they perish? Because they were obstinately saying, don't ask me to live by faith. Don't ask me to be part of some vision of taking some land against some giant and some wall. That's none of my business. That's not my person. Don't bother me with this, with your gig. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to just live my own life and everybody leave me alone. I got enough to do at work and take care of my kids. I don't have time to go get involved with some vision, fighting giants and getting involved with some taking a city and, and overcoming some city states. And I don't have time for that. I'm too busy. Don't bother me with that. For crying out loud, what's wrong with you, Moses? Don't you know any better? We had it bad enough. We don't need another bad season after we get out of Egypt. How many know there's people who think like that? It's all kinds of people like that. But there's two. There's Joshua's and Caleb's. And they say, man, we're more than well able to do this, guys. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright. See, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. The, the taking of the promised land, guys, is for an appointed time. It takes 11 days to go across this wilderness. The vision is for an appointed time. But at the end, it shall speak. It shall speak. You got the promised land. You beat the giants. You took over the walled cities. And it will not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come. And it surely did for Joshua and Caleb. Everybody say it did for Joshua and Caleb. It will not tarry. It's not like God lies and isn't going to bring it to pass through us. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. See, he's juxtapositioning two types of people and two types of responses to vision. He says there's two types of people here. And the first one is, behold, his soul which is lifted up. In other words, really that person is full of pride because they think their life is their own. And they just ignore that Jesus gave his life for us. Behold, his soul is lifted up. It is not upright in him. But then it juxtapositions the second type of person but the just, now here's another type of guy. Here's the Joshua and Caleb. The just shall live by his faith. I want to be the second part. I want to be the second half of that verse, the just that live by faith. I don't want to be the arrogant that's lifted up, right, in him and isn't right with God and isn't going to live by the vision that Habakkuk was supposed to just write down for the people. I want to be a part of the, the jumps in, in the middle of that vision, gets involved in that vision, and sees it come to pass for me and my kids and for the future generations. Somebody say amen. amen. This living by vision is really just another way of saying being obedient to what God has for us individually, family, and corporately as the children of God. So, 
Vision is really important, but it tarries. And the hard part is, you know, Pastor Bill, but it takes a long time. And, you know, Pastor Bill, sometimes I get discouraged when I don't see things coming to pass right away. Sometimes I just don't, I don't understand why God isn't just doing it. Pastor Bill, I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, in, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. Everybody turn there quickly. Vision requires faith. It says, that, and the just shall live by his faith, it says in Habakkuk 2.4. After it talks all about writing the vision down, all about it's going to take a while, but you've you got to stand. And then he immediately says, but some's heart aren't right, and some will live by their faith. Very simple. You read those first four verses, and it just really, it really describes the children of Israel. It's really very prophetic. And I'm sure that Habakkuk probably had that in mind, obviously, as his template for understanding that concept. So let's look at this. Hebrews 6 and 12 says this, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, then he adds patience to it. Now, why do you have to go and do that? It's bad enough we got to be in faith, Pastor Bill. Now you're going to add patience? Are you kidding me? I, I, hurry up, God. We're to be imitators of those who by faith well, I'm all right with that faith. Patience? Oh, gosh, now I've got to wait, too. Well, the Bible says that it's going to tarry. Things are going to take a while. I mean, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith, and he's trying to build it. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and it's not going to be built in a day. And so we've got to learn how to be imitators. Everybody say, be an imitator. Well, I'm going to imitate people who, who have in faith. I'm going to imitate people who know how to wait. I'm going to imitate patient people. I'm going to imitate long-suffering people. You say, well, I, I thought maybe I'd imitate the Kardashians or, or somebody, you know, cool. And, and I, I want to imitate, you know, something I saw on television. I don't want to imitate people that have to wait for things. I mean, come on. We didn't come here to get depressed. How many of you know... Um, Today, America is so shallow. It's so sad. How many of you know that, you know, what, Harvard put out a study in an article about successful people. And it says millennials today have, have, no, have no patience. And, and I love millennials, and that doesn't mean all of them. The ones in our church are different than the, than the worldly ones. We've got great millennials in our church. But they said, you know, one of the key ingredients that they identified for extremely successful people is to be able to endure prolonged gratification. Now, don't take that the wrong way. In, in some perverted way, prolonged gratification is this. Some people are perfectly okay with a lot of pain because they know there's a huge reward at the end of the journey. Immature, unsuccessful people cannot handle delayed gratification. They got to feel it, and they got to feel it yesterday. They need it right now or they're going to die. I want gratification now. They can't think in terms of a plan, a process, a patience, that gets me from point A to point Z where there's massive gratification. You know, they, they can go a few hours and, and you know, may, maybe be a success to learn how they tie their shoes, but to run a large company, make large sums of money, have a, have a very successful, you know, things in their life, to, to do things that are big and really matter and take a long time and have a huge infrastructure and a large foundation that has to be set and a lot of patience and a lot of step-by-step incremental goals and a lot of action plan and a lot of, uh, you know, working it out over time. Are you kidding? I want, I want some gratification right now, Pastor Bill. Don't bore me with this long drawn-out business. No. They said in this study that people who can endure and can think through and have what they call delayed gratification become the most successful people in the world. Today, the millennial culture is, I want stuff right now. I want to live like, you know, I see my parents and, and they've got, you know, they got a 3,000 square foot house. They drive a nice car. They go on vacation. I want that right now. I don't care that I've only been working for six months. I want that right now. 
I, I don't care that I don't have any money in the bank and, you know, $100,000 worth of student loans. I want that right now. How many of you know that's, there's something wrong with our way our culture thinks? Don't emulate that in your spiritual lives. Don't emulate that way of thinking in your spiritual lives. Can I get an amen? Learn, if you can't learn it from me, at least learn it from the Harvard professors. If you won't, if you won't take my word for it, take Harvard's word for it. That This life, we need to be imitators of those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. All they're doing is, is, is saying a biblical principle. All they're doing is telling you Hebrews 6.12 is true in a very sophisticated, survey, scientific, educational, academic way. All they're doing is verifying what I'm preaching to you this morning in Hebrews 6.12. Can I get an amen? Is that we need to be imitators of those who by faith and patience. I don't care if it's a secular vision. I don't care if it's your business plan. I don't care what it is. You better write it out. You better have some goals or action plan. And you better be willing to wait on things and be patient with its progress. Or you're going to fail, fail, fail in life. You've got to learn that delayed gratification, you've got to learn that tarrying and waiting and living that the just will live by his faith and the arrogant will say no, he's upright in his heart and he doesn't want to do it, he wants to go back to Egypt. He doesn't want to wait for the promised land. He doesn't want to get involved with all the details of getting there. He doesn't want to be a part of the, of the solution instead of the problem. He doesn't want to get in and do the ministry helps. He doesn't want to do the things of giving and serving and showing up and being and, and helping and laying down their life. They don't want anybody. They just want to have instant heaven. You know, I, I go up to the front once and then I'm going to heaven. And don't give me anything in between, brother. But we're going to have to learn... That this life and the vision and living by faith is going to take patience. Let's look at it again. Hebrews 6.12. Be ye not slothful, but followers of them. See, if you're, if you're slothful, you, you just want out. You want out from out. Get me out from under all responsibility. I want to abdicate everything to somebody else. Be not slothful, but be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. How many of there's great rewards when you inherit those promises? There's rewards in your children. There's reward in your finances. There's rewards in your well-being and your physical health. There's rewards in every area of your life if you can understand delayed gratification. See, that's called self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Delayed gratification is self-control. I can control myself until my shipment, until my reward, my ship comes in. I can handle waiting. I can be a patient person. Be imitators of those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. Vision is, is a promise of good things yet to come. Proverbs 29, 18. And this is, but this is what we struggle with. You know, I mean, Proverbs 13, 12. Go ahead. Let's, let's go to this. This is a great verse of Scripture because some of you and myself and all of us have experienced this from time to time in our life and in our wait, in our walk with God. We sometimes see this happen. In Proverbs 13, 12, it says this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Oh, my heart's sick, Pastor Bill. I'm sick of waiting. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Are you going to stop while your heart's sick? Or are you going to push through until your desire comes and it's a tree of life? Are you going to stop five feet from the finish line? Are you going to stop at the edge of the desert before you get to the water fountain? Don't stop during heart deferred. I mean, excuse me, when, you know, hope deferred makes your heart sick. Don't quit the race when your heart, when your heart is sick. Hope deferred makes heart sick. Don't stop while your heart's sick. Push on through, because when the desire cometh, everybody say, when it comes, it's a tree of life. See, that's what those Harvard professors were talking about. Delayed gratification. If you can wait, there's a great reward awaiting you if you'll get on board and if you'll carry through with the vision for your life, for the church's life, for the, the people that you work for in their business. I don't care what it is. Hope deferred will make your heart sick, but the thing is, when hope comes or when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Wow. Two points. You need to seek and find out God's will. You need to learn to have faith and patience until the appointed time, the Kairos time, shows up and the fulfillment comes. Can I get an Amen. 
See, Jesus says, seek and you will find. So number one, we need to seek like old Habakkuk who sat on his watch and he said, uh, I will wait and I'll see what the Lord will say unto me and I'll write it down, make it plain upon tables that he that reads it may run with it. You need to just seek and seek and seek until you find. Jesus says, if you'll seek, you'll find. How many of you believe Jesus this morning? That if you seek, you'll find. Call upon me, I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not. If you don't have to wander through life. Galatians, then wait, seek and then wait. Wow. Kind of like when you go to some jobs, it's hurry up and wait. You ever been to one of those jobs? Hurry up and wait. Seek and then wait. Seek and find out and then wait. We're going to talk about how you wait here in just a few minutes. So we're not just saying the same thing over and over again. Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. There's an if you faint not there. Delayed gratification if you faint not. See, we, if we faint, we're, we're not going to receive it. If, if we die off while the heart is sick. But we need to push through, Galatians 6, 9, for in due season, in, Ky- in that kairos time, you shall reap if you faint not. In that appointed time. And it says that the vision is for an appointed time. Everybody say appointed time. Say, I want to hurry up and get to my appointed time. Say it with me. I want to hurry up and get to my appointed time. But I'll wait for it. We've got to wait for it. You're not going to make it come by getting impatience. Matter of fact, you, you don't want to do that because you might run 40 laps in the wilderness when it was only 11 days. You don't want to run 40 years in the wilderness when it was really only 11 days. See, cooperation is what, you know, be imitators of those who by faith and patience. So we, we need to do that. You know, let's turn over to Habakkuk, excuse me, Hebrews 10.35. There's a scripture I want to look at there. Hebrews 10.35. It's very powerful. I know that some of the things the Lord showed me when I first got saved you know, have just now come. When I was at ORU, God gave me different prophecies, and that, that was in 1983. And I don't know how many years ago that was, but that was a long time ago. Getting close to 30 years ago. And some of those things are just now coming to pass. You know, the other day I, I was sitting in my office last week, and, and the Lord showed me that, that I would be able to. And, and Brother Hagen, I mean, Brother Chris has often spoke of this. And Bobby Jindal called me up. You know, Bobby Jindal is no longer, how many know Bobby Jindal didn't get reelected for Louisiana as governor? He did not. And, uh, and you know, he, I was sitting in my office and, and, and all of a sudden I get this phone call and it says, unknown. And, you know, I know that certain, because I've called political figures or had them call me before and, I, and, and when you're a governor, you don't let anybody know what your personal n- number is. So I pick up and he goes, well, hi, Brother Bill, how are you doing? I thought, who is this? He says, this is Bobby Jindal. He says, I just wanted to call you because I really appreciated you and your wife, and I really appreciated you letting us come to your church. And he says, and I just wanted to say, I want to continue to be friends with you, and I want this relationship to continue, and I, and I, wanted, I just wanted to call and talk with you today. And I said, well, you know, that's funny because, you know, when you were here, uh, several weeks after that, just, you know, it might have been a month or maybe even a month and a half ago, I remember saying to myself, I wish I would love to get a chance to talk to Bobby Jindal again because I believe the Lord gave me a word for you, for him. And, and, and the Lord, it was just in my heart about a month and a half ago to, to get a hold of him somehow and try to talk to him. I thought, well, I don't know if I'll be able to get to him because now he's not running for president. He probably doesn't care about Iowa and pastors there, especially the fact that he didn't win. <laughs> and, and, and of course, I, I knew he's a better guy than that. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, that it makes, there's no reason why he did not, because he was, him and Ted Cruz were probably the most qualified guys, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion. There's no reason why he couldn't get traction. We, we couldn't understand it. But the reason was, is because it's timing, and God has something greater for him to do, and the timing for him to become president wasn't for right now. And I, and I says, I says, can I tell you something, Bobby? He says, yeah. I says, I want to just chat with you. And he says, I so enjoyed our time. You know, we sat there and talked for, you know, three hours that afternoon. And, and, I, and I said, yeah, I, I really believe the Lord has a word for you from me. I mean, I, I have a word from you from the Lord. I said that just backwards, didn't I? And, and, and that it, the word it was this, that it made no sense. I says, I felt like you're the most qualified one of the most qualified guys. It made no sense to me why you couldn't get traction. But I believe the Lord spoke to me to answer that in my heart because I was wondering that. And, and then I felt like he spoke that I was supposed to tell you this, that the Lord has something far better for you. 
And that the time wasn't that you weren't qualified, but God didn't want you to do that because he has something more important for you to do at this time in your life. And he says, oh, Pastor really says, you can't believe how much that blesses me. He says, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Now, let me tell you something. God spoke to me. I saw a vision of things like that happening back when I was in college. It's just now starting to take place, starting to happen in my life. I, I saw visions of me speaking at things like the family leader, those events. But I saw that back when I was in college when there was no such, when they didn't even have things like the family leader. This week, God told me to speak to call Jess Spring because we're heading down to see Liz and Jesse in Dallas, and I was going to ask him if he wanted to go hog hunting. Real spiritual, you know. So I called him up and says, hey, we're going to be down your way. We're going to be down in Texas, you know, in that nation just south of the, the, out of the USA, United States of America. That nice conservative nation just south of America, you know, between us and South America down there in Texas. And, and I wanted to go hog. I wanted, I wanted to finish Jesus' commission to kill all those pigs. You know, when he ran them over the cliff. Remember, the only, the only animals that Jesus ever killed were a bunch of pigs. So I want to come down and assassinate some pigs with you, you know. We're going to have some fun. And I'm just kidding. Are y'all, is it okay to joke around a little bit? So says, I want to go hunting. He says, hey, he says, I want you to preach for me. I says, I want you to put on a political rally in our church. I go, what? He goes, I want you to come and preach on politics in our church. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a bill. We're going to get all kinds of people there. We're gonna, it's it's going to be a big deal. I want you to come and talk about politics. I said, really? I can do that. See, and I had a vision of this back when I was almost, I don't know if that's almost 30, how, how long is that ago? Whatever, 1981, 80 through 83 is how many years? 30, is it 35? My gosh, that's really scary. But I had visions of these things long ago. And you know, for 20 years, it was just like, if it never happens, Lord, that's just fine with me. Because as far as I can see, that was just me having a dream. You know, Jeremiah, it says, don't, don't be following those dreams that you caused to have. I mean, it says that in Jeremiah. You can, you can think on something so, so stinking much, you'll start dreaming about it. Especially if you had pepperoni pizza to it the night before. I'm just kidding. But those things that I waited, I, I'm seeing some things come to pass that have been, and, and you know, how, what I'm trying to say is sometimes we've got to wait for some things. Where did I say we were going? Hebrews 10. Everybody turn to Hebrews quickly. Hebrews 10. I don't know if you're there, but I'm getting there, and I'm going to read out of there, 35 through 39. Look what it says. It says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Everybody say reward. God is a reward of them that diligently seek him. For you have need of patience, and after that you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. See, even the great vision of the return of Jesus. How many of you know he's given us a vision to wait until he comes? You know, we've got little visions for our life. We've got little visions for our churches and, and, and our families, and, and those are little compared to God's vision. And then God gives us a great, big, huge, universal vision that one day he's going to return and set up his kingdom. I mean, kind of, you're getting, you're wishing, you're getting not tired of waiting, but you're, you're getting anticipation. When's that going to happen, Lord? Amen. For you have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. And he will not tarry. Oh, that sounds exactly like what Habakkuk says. Be patient, and you're going to have to wait, and though it tarries, it'll not. So it will not tarry in Habakkuk concerning the vision for the immediate sense, but it will not tarry concerning Jesus in the ultimate vision of his return. Can I get an amen? In the same way that Jesus is going to come back, even though it doesn't seem like it, in the same way on a smaller scale, that vision is going to come to pass. It's like it doesn't seem like it. Somebody say amen. And so if you believe Jesus is coming back and you believe that it will not tarry, then you're obligated to believe 
The Habakkuk 2.3, it will not tarry also. Because you can't just pick and choose the portion of scriptures that you like and the ones you don't like and throw out the ones you don't like and just do the ones you do like. The will not tarry in Habakkuk, just like the will not tarry in Hebrews, you got to accept both of them or neither one of them. Somebody say amen. So how many are going to wait and not worry about it tarrying? See, that's the hard part is your mind dealing with it. How many of you know if somebody tells you to, to sit in a chair and wait for 10 hours, that's pretty hard to do? But how, how about we all go do your, favorite, your most favorite thing in life? Maybe it's hog hunting. I don't know what's your favorite thing in life, but go do that for 10 hours. How many of you know it, it goes by so fast you can't, you, want, you, can't, you can't even hold on to it. You want it to last longer than it did. Let's keep on reading. For yet a little while, and he that will come will come, and it will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Well, that's exactly what it says over there in Habakkuk. It says, for the just shall live by his faith. Gosh, do you suppose Paul wrote, read Habakkuk and was thinking about that while he was reading, saying this and writing it? I believe Paul is the writer of Hebrews, by the way. For yet a little while, and he that will come will come and will not tarry. And the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back his soul, shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Salvation comes through believing. Vision comes to pass by believing. And believing without corresponding action is a false, deceptive way of living. Faith without action. Faith without corresponding action is dead. Everybody say dead. No, it isn't real. It's all phony. It's bogus. It's, it's just a joke. It's as phony as a $3 bill. People that talk and talk and talk and don't do and don't do, they're as phony as a $3 bill. They look like it. They look like it. That's the dollars. But the fact is everybody knows that there's no such thing as a $3 bill. Everybody knows that there's no such thing as just words without corresponding action being real faith. Everybody knows that that's phony. There's nothing to it. And anybody can do that. That's the easiest thing in the world to do is just say it and then not live it. But, you know, it takes a little bit of doing to stand in faith and be in patience. Can I get an amen? Visions have a point in time, and it requires staying in faith for extended periods of time. We have to stay in faith for extended periods of time. We have to learn delayed gratification. We've got to be at least as smart as the Harvard professors who say that is the most, very most key thing to success today. Visions come in the context of personal, community, and global. Personal visions. Did you know it was 10 years with Joseph? It was 10 years from the time of the dream that all of his brothers bowing down to him. He was 10 years before he became prime minister. He spent time in that pit. He spent time at Potiphar's. He spent time in that prison. And then finally, he found his way to being prime minister. Did you know it took 10 years? You know, if you read that, you might think it all happened in the course of a year. It took 10 years. Everybody say 10 years. That means that if you divide it up evenly, he spent three years in prison. Oh, I bet that was fun. Especially when he didn't deserve to be put in prison. Did you know David from the time that Samuel came and anointed him and said he's going to be the king of Israel? And then he went through a time of Saul chasing him and trying to kill him and being the outlaw and the bad guy. How many of you know it was 15 years from the time that David was anointed to be king before he became king? How many of you know there's some weights in life? As a community, Israel, Moses, before, you know, when Moses left Egypt and went out on the backside of the desert and was a shepherd for 40 years under Jethro, it was 40 years from the time that he started to bring deliverance. He wanted to be the deliverer of Israel. He had to wait 40 years before he went back and brought him out in the Exodus and delivered Israel from Egypt. How many of you know 40 years on the backside of a desert probably didn't go real fast? Being a lonely shepherd out there after you were a major potentate in the most powerful regime on planet Earth. Jethro, 40 years excuse me, Joshua, 40 years from the time he spied out the land of promise, and then everybody got out of faith and in disobedience and messed it up, and they had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. It took 40 years from the time Joshua says, we're well able to take the land, and God has given us the land, Moses said. It took 40 years before he led the people into the promised land. So, you know, private visions, you know, 10, 15 years, 10 years Joseph, 15 years David, 
community visions like a church or a group of people, a community of faith. It took 40 years to get them out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get them out of the wilderness. How many of you know with Noah, if it's a, if it's a large scale, global vision, how many of you know it took old Noah 100 years to build that ark? You're talking about patience. You're talking about imitating somebody who by faith and patience inherited the promise. And I think he inherited the biggest promise of every man who ever lived. How would you like to inherit the entire world and all the wealth in it and say, it's mine now? How many of you know he had no competition? He had no other landowners. He just sold it all to his kids. <laughs> no, he didn't sell it. But you think about that. Everything was his. He was the steward over the whole world. He started all over again like Adam and Eve. He's the only person that had it like Adam and Eve where the whole world was at his disposal. But he waited longer than anybody else did. How many of you know the longer the wait, the bigger the reward? Yeah, that's why I bought that Powerball ticket, Pastor Bill. <laughs> no, just kidding. 800 million bucks. Yeah, I'm going to wait till tomorrow for it. No, not, we're not talking about that. That's a long time. No. You know, when we are willing to wait, God is willing to bring big things to pass. Amen. But you know that God is waiting on us. Turn me to James 5 as we, as we close, as we finish up here. I like this verse. This scripture gives a lot of perspective and a lot of understanding. James 5, 7. Look what it says. This is amazing scripture. It says, be patient, therefore, brethren. It starts out telling us to be patient. Under the coming of the Lord. Now, that's the biggest vision that God gives us to wait on. Amen? Isn't the Lord's return the biggest vision that we're supposed to help and be a part of? Be, therefore, patient, brethren. Therefore, under the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth. Wait a minute. We're waiting on the Lord, but this scripture says he's waiting on us. Wait a minute. That isn't the way it's supposed to be, is it? Is that the way it really reads, Pastor Bill? Yeah. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth on the precious fruit of the earth. And he is the one and hath long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. He's waiting for the precious fruit. He's waiting for the heart. We're waiting on him to come back, but he says, huh, I'm waiting on you to bring in the harvest. I'm not going to come in when all the fields are, are only about half harvested. You're not going to bring in the combine and bring in the tractor and bring in the auger wagon and bring in the workers and bring in all the equipment from the field when it's only half harvested, are you? Anybody know any farmer that would do something that stupid? And... All the workers are out there and they're sitting in the combine, they're sitting in the pickup, they're sitting in the trucks and the semis, they're sitting in the big auger wagons and the tractors and they're sitting out there saying, well, when, you, when are we going to close this thing down? Half the, half the corn's out and half the field is still standing there and going, when, when are you going to relieve us? When are you going to let us go home for the, for the fall? When are you going to relieve us and send us home? Let's be done with this job. We're waiting for you. We're waiting, Mr. Boss Man. We're waiting for you, Mr. Landowner. We're waiting for you, Mr. Farmer. When are you going to let us go? I'm tired of driving this tractor. I don't want to drive this combine. You'd say, are you crazy? We're not leaving. We're not leaving. We're not taking off out of this place. We're not leaving this vineyard. We're not leaving this, this field until it's all harvested. Dude, I'm waiting on you. You're not waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. I'm not going to close this thing down half harvested. Somebody say amen. That's what this scripture is telling us. Let me read it again. Be patient, therefore, brethren. If you're running that combine, be patient. The field's eventually going to get done. If you're running that tractor, be patient. That's a big field, but it's eventually going to get done someday. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. You'll be able to go home and have Thanksgiving, you know, whatever you're looking forward to. Under the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And he hath long patience for it until he receiveth early in the latter rain. The two harvest times. They had two harvests back in Israel because of the type of crops. Now, we need to know, okay, we write the vision down, but it's going to tarry a while, so we have to wait for it. And we got to wait patiently and we be imitators of those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. 
Because it isn't good enough just to have faith because your faith might fail. You might run out of gas about halfway through the wait. How many of you don't want to run out of gas halfway from the beginning to the finish line? That's what the children of Israel did. Well, they got out of Egypt, but they didn't get into the promised land. How many of you know the wilderness was only the halfway point? See, I want to have enough gas to get me through uh, getting out of Egypt, get me through the wilderness, and get me into the promised land. I don't want to run out of faith gas. See, and that's where patience comes in. Patience keeps your faith uh, going. And you don't want to have a faith failure halfway through. You want to keep your faith alive and by faith and patience. So it isn't good enough to have faith. You're going to have to have patience because patience is what elongates uh, the faith to get it there. It's what keeps it suspended, keeps it going, keeps it full of gas, keeps it... The, the patience keeps your faith operative and active. But see, if... Faith is being a doer, not just a hearer. If faith, that means you're also going to have patience to keep on doing, not just believing. Somebody say amen. amen. So it isn't just that, oh, I got I to have uh, you know, faith, okay, and I got to have patience. Patience keeps me going. I don't give up halfway through. I don't end up in the wilderness instead of getting to the promised land. And, and so I'm just going to try to keep faith, keep faith. But, you know, but faith is corresponding action. So it isn't just good enough to have faith, patience to keep my faith, to keep believing, but i got to have patience to keep believing and keep doing because faith without corresponding action is dead. So patience means i got to have patience to be imitators of those. I can't just be like Noah and say, well, I'm going to have patience that that boat gets made. Hallelujah. I'm in faith. I'm going to have patience. I'm going to just sit around till that boat gets made. See, he had to also keep working for 100 years. Wow. You know, you, you look, and how many of you know Sarah? Sarah didn't have enough patience. She says, Let us have, let's get us a Hagar and let's get us a baby somehow. How many of you know that baby turned into the, hell, the baby from hell, Ishmael? It's corrupted the whole world with its hatred. How many of you know when you get in a hurry and you try to go the wrong direction? Well, I'm not going to follow this vision. I've got a better plan. How many of you know that's where you birth something from hell? You can birth something from hell. I'll tell you what. The children of Israel, well, we, we're, we're going to do this thing. We're going to murmur and we're going to, well, you can end up in a wilderness. That, how many know that's the path from hell? So how do we endure waiting? You know, one idea is just the Calvinistic spectator. God will bring it to pass. We need not wait. We need not get involved. Just wait patiently. Nothing you can do can add to the grace of God. And we wouldn't want to try to add to it because that would just be our own works. And we don't, you know, we don't need to get involved. Let's just patiently, you know, God is sovereign. We'll, we'll stand back. We'll let God do it. That's the Dr. Doolittle plan. And that doesn't work. A different idea is what James 7 says. You know, in Jeremiah 29, they were told to occupy. They're in 70 years of being under the Babylonians. They're in Babylonian captivity. How many of you know 70 years under the heathens would be a long time to be in captivity? You know what he said? Build houses. Be friendly with those people. Get involved. Bless the people. Pray for them. Build houses. Move in. Become part of the community. I mean, don't, don't become worldly. But, but occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. And, you know, Ecclesiastes says, whatever you put your hand to do, do it with all your strength. Get involved. How many of you know when you're working hard, time goes faster than when you're sitting around? If you've got an appointed time and you're waiting for it and you've, and you've got your vision and you've got what you believe God's shown you and it doesn't seem to be coming to pass, don't sit around and wait for it. Get involved in bringing it to pass. Get some goals. Get some plans that he has for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, we always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we always abounding in the work of the Lord? Are we sitting back complaining as to why things aren't happening like you thought they were? Don't sit back and say, well, when's this going to happen? Why isn't God doing this? Why isn't God doing that? Are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? Because the more you abound and get the harvest and the more the Lord of the harvest will come back sooner. I believe we can expedite those things, that, that Kairos time, 
that appointed time can come according to what we get done. Nehemiah, he didn't stand around. He got busy building the wall. Jonah, he didn't stand around. He got busy building the boat. Moses, he didn't just stand around. He, he became a shepherd and he worked for uh, Jethro 40 years. And Joseph, he, he didn't stand around. He got to working for Potiphar and he became the head steward. He got to work in that prison, became the head warden of the prison. He didn't stand around. He got busy under, with, with the Pharaoh and, and, and interpreting his dream and giving him a plan of what to do when the seven years of lean came and he became prime minister and he worked there. And then, and then, and then the vision came to pass and his brothers showed up and that vision, that dream they saw, they bowed down to him and he saved their life and he saved the lineage of Christ. Because he got busy doing and the vision became fulfilled. That's why we write it down so we can run with it. Everybody say, run with it. You've got to run with the vision. If you sit on it, it doesn't, it's not going to hasten to come to pass. God's waiting on you. You're waiting on God, and it's a stalemate. Get busy. Begin to do those things in your private and personal vision and dreams. Get busy with the church. Don't sit here and say, gosh, there's a lot of people gone this week. Get up and start getting busy and get involved and, and be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Be the answer, not the problem. And, and, and get, get involved in, in the bigger vision of our nation. That it maybe takes 100 years to turn this big a ship, our nation. But if we don't get out and start doing some things to change it, it's never going to get done. Can I get an amen? You know, it took Noah 100 years to get it turned around and get it built where, where, the, where the world could be saved through his family. You know, it isn't just going to change overnight when you've got a, a nation that's been screwed up for the past 50 years. And, you know, just, just you know, listening to good, you know, civic sermons, we, we need to get involved. We need to get involved in civics. We need to get involved in evangelism. We need to get involved. And your life will be blessed because the more you give your life to God, the more he gives his Zoe life back to you. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll be dismissed. <clears throat> Though it tarry, wait for it. Get involved. How do I wait? How do I wait? You get involved. You get involved in prayer. You get involved in serving. You get involved in giving your life away. God calls us to serve. There's only one life that's happy, and that's the life of serving. Somebody say amen. There's only one way that you'll be happy in life, and that's through serving. We're not talking about your job, because that's really just serving you, because you get paid to do that. You know you're serving when you're not getting paid to do it. That's when you're giving your life away. You're not giving your life away at work. You get paid to do that. You give your life away when you come and serve. And it says true religion is taking care of the widows that could never pay you back. True religion is taking care of the orphans that could never pay you back. That's true religion, James says. That's true faith. That's true serving. Can I get an amen? Let's bow our heads.